Before we jump into today's topic, allow me to take just a moment to thank today's show sponsor, which is Organifi. You guys know how I feel about Organifi. It is my go-to. In fact, this is so refreshing. I have a glass of ice, fresh water mixed with pure and immunity. It's got just enough citrus. That's two of their products mixed together. I don't know if everybody likes the taste of that. I do. I love it. It's like an orange flavor. The immunity kind of tastes like orange. And then the pure has a lemony taste. And I mix two of them together. And that way I get everything I need for my immunity, my antiviral, my antifungal. It's just a great way to support your immune system every single day. And then I mix that with my Organifi Pure, which is it's basically all the superfoods that your brain needs to help reach maximum mental performance. In other words, it's what I drink to help me think better, to help my memory, to increase neurogenesis. And get this, this is the other reason why I drink it. Their product is clinically proven to boost BDNF brain-derived neurotropic factor by up to 142%. Anyways, they've got tons of great products. Whatever your nutritional needs might be lacking or your palate might be craving, Organifi is definitely the company to check out. All right, guys, the cool news, get 20% off all of their products when you use code Shaleen. Again, it's Organifi, and I'm going to spell it O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Shaleen. That's Organifi.com forward slash Shaleen, and you get 20% off. Last night, I posted an appreciation post for Brett. If you're new to the show, that's my husband, and we've been married for 27 years. We've been together for, I guess, like 31, 32 years. That appreciation post, I mentioned the fact that he wasn't feeling well, and he had gone to bed a few minutes before me. And even though he wasn't feeling well, kind of had a little bit of a fever, he always takes the time to like get my side of the bed ready, which is so cute. Like he he pulls down my covers, he takes off the decorative pillows on my side of the bed. I have this one special little blanket that I love to sleep with and he goes and gets that blanket and he opens it up and he lays it across my side. I have this special pillow. I really sound like a princess, don't I? Anyways, I have this little my pillow. It's like a little travel my pillow, which I really like to sleep with. And he lays that out for me. It's super thoughtful. It's super sweet. And I was just so touched by the fact that he did that last night, even though he wasn't feeling well. So I did this appreciation post for him and I talked about how Like doing those little things means so much and it's so caring and it feels so good to be loved in that way. Well, I got two different types of responses. Half of the responses were, where do I find a man like this? How do I attract someone like this in my life? How do I get my husband to do these things? That was half of the responses. And the other half were from people who said, this is how I treat my wife or this is exactly what my husband does for me. It was one or the other and almost nothing in between. That led me to ask my audience a series of questions. And today's episode is designed to share with you the intel from over 20,000 responses of people who answered the question, how do you get an amazing partner? And because the divorce rate is around 45 to 50%, I also asked those individuals who had been divorced what it was they felt were the biggest red flags or the biggest contributors when it came to the demise of their relationship. So this episode is a summary of their responses. And there were so many commonalities. It just 
this is going to be an easy episode. Of course, going to share my opinion, but I think what's really more powerful is to hear the consensus of so many people because the answers were very, very similar. All right. It might not be what you want to hear, but I think it's what you need to hear. Here we go. Okay. So let's dig into it. To begin with, I asked people who were in a relationship where they would consider their partner to be caring, thoughtful, nearly perfect, loving, helpful, loyal, complimentary, understanding, patient, selfless, and connected. I mean, it sounds too good to be true, right? But I asked people, if you would describe your partner in that way, identify yourself. So those people did. And then I said, if that's how you have described your marriage partner, now I want to ask you, what is it? How did this happen? Is it luck? Were you role modeled this? Did you train your partner how to be this way? Is it just your perspective? Do you just have a really good attitude? Is it therapy? What is it? How did you do this? Because with the divorce rate at, you know, close to 50%, the rest of the population would like to know how to do this. It's a question I'm often asked that too. You know, and I don't want to make people like grossed out by the fact that I think so highly of my husband, because as I've been transparent in this podcast, I mean, there's definitely been periods of time, especially in our earlier part of our marriage, where I wouldn't say those things about him. I believe we have a marriage 2.0. So for me to answer that question, it's multifaceted. And so I put the question to my audience, right? And I wanted to see what type of responses do I get from these individuals, the individuals who are incredibly satisfied in their own words with their partner. And the responses have a lot of commonalities. Okay, so I'm going to share them with you. The number one response was, you have to be good with who you are. You have to be complete. You have to be whole. You have to not need to feel as though you have to have validation, justification, love, or anything from someone else. Like you have to be confident and whole and to basically have done the work. Now, I don't think that there's ever someone who's done like all the work. I mean, we all still have work to be done. But basically the overwhelming response, especially even from those women who said, listen, I got it wrong in my first marriage and then I worked on myself, I fixed myself and then I was able to attract the right kind of person. And also then I was able to appreciate that I didn't have to change someone else. So step one is to be a whole person, to fix as many of your broken parts as possible, to address your traumas and your unresolved fears, your hurts and your pains, to address as many of those as possible before bringing yourself to another person and certainly never expecting that they're supposed to do that for you. Because another person cannot make you feel loved. Another person cannot make you feel complete. Another person cannot make you feel like you are enough. You have to have that first. I definitely think that the people who we're with can make us feel better about who we are, but you first have to feel like you don't need that, almost like it's the icing on the cake. Like you don't need it, but it's certainly nice to have it. Next was that you have to really like your partner and I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the first one, which is it's really hard to really like other people if you don't really like yourself. If you're really unhappy with who you are on the inside, if there are these broken pieces, if you struggle with your own self-worth, I mean, it's really hard to love people unconditionally and to see their greatness and to just really like people 
if you're not sure if you really like yourself, if you don't see yourself as worthy, if you don't see yourself as lovable, it's really hard to see that in other people and to express it. It's really hard to act in a way that is loving and caring and selfless and and giving and patient and all those things if you don't really like your partner. I mean, again, I've been married for a very long time and there are things that my husband has done that I didn't like. There are times in our marriage, especially when, you know, early in our marriage where there are things we both had to work on personally that I didn't like him as much. And I think that is because at the time he really didn't like himself. You know, he was doing some things that were deceitful and like hiding the gambling from me and and having secrets. And when people have secrets, when people are hiding things, when people are doing things that they don't feel good about, it tends to come out in other ways. Like they have less patience. They're not as nice. They're not as kind because in the back of their head, they're not happy with themselves. You know, the way a happy, content, confident person responds is very different than the way someone responds who is consumed by thoughts of their own worth, who isn't happy with themselves. You know, that's why they say the way someone responds to you is certainly more a reflection of how they feel about themselves versus a reflection of how they feel about you. The next most common response was giving what it is you want in return and doing so 110% of the time. Okay, now obviously it's not possible to give 110% of yourself at all times. It's just not possible. But I think the sentiment here is to make it a priority to always go above and beyond in terms of giving and being selfless with your partner. P.S. It's at this point I should probably make an obvious disclaimer, which is that there are going to be situations where you're doing all of this and your partner is still just... They're just not down or they've changed. Maybe they have a mental health condition. Maybe they have their own unresolved traumas. Maybe things seemed perfect and then suddenly one day your partner just walks out and you find out that they were unhappy all along. I mean, there's always going to be exceptions. So again, I know that and I don't want you to feel guilty if things didn't work out in your relationship. My objective in this episode is just really to share with you the most common responses from people who are in what they claim to be very satisfied, very happy relationships. All right, let's keep going. The next most common response was that they appreciate and see the value that they really love and appreciate their partner, even the things that are very different from themselves and they don't try to change them. They accept it, they appreciate it, They love them and they adore them for those things versus seeing things in your partner that you're trying to change. For example, I think it's very common for women who are powerful or strong or or maybe even the breadwinners to fall in love with a man who can handle your power, who can handle your strengths, who isn't intimidated by the fact that maybe you're the breadwinner or that maybe you are the more dominant personality. But then it's not uncommon. I've seen this happen with people I know where then they begin to resent their partner because their partner isn't as powerful as they are. It's like, well, but you fell in love with somebody who appreciates your power and now you're trying to change them. Now you want them to be you and you want to do this role reversal versus just 
loving and appreciating and respecting all the things that are different from you. I've heard many, many a powerful woman say, I just want to be taken care of. I want someone who will, you know, I'm tired. I don't want to be the breadwinner. I don't want to have to make all the decisions anymore. But then when push comes to shove, they're missing the point that they really are a dominant controlling person and they really don't want somebody who's more dominant and more controlling than they are. What they really need most likely is to just recognize that that's their role and their partner has a supporting role and neither one is right or wrong and they each have value and you have to respect them as having equal amounts of power even though an unequal influence. Okay, so that leads me to my next point. Having equal influence, that is a huge one. So I'm going to talk in a few minutes about the things that people said led to the demise of their relationship. And spoiler alert, one of the biggest ones is a differential of power, where it felt like one person's opinion didn't matter, or they just didn't value their opinion. They didn't ask for their input. They just made decisions without them. And sometimes this happens because, you know, one person's the breadwinner, or sometimes this happens because one person is just very controlling. But where there is a major power differential, that is a relationship that's headed for doomsday. Of those people who report being incredibly satisfied in their relationships, another very common response was that they actively say and do things to make their partner feel good, feel good about themselves. So it's compliments, it's doing things that you know make your partner happy, it's doing things that are kind and thoughtful and selfless and that show that you care. And people who responded that they have great relationships, they're doing this for their partner and their partner's doing this for them. It's reciprocated. Quite a few of the people responded that things didn't get to this point in their relationship until either they went to therapy, meaning the person who was responding, or their partner went to therapy. And many, many, many people who are now happy in their relationships mentioned in their responses that before they were happy, they were very codependent. And that that codependence was almost the demise of their relationship. Either they worked on it themselves or their partner worked on their codependence. I mean, codependence is something, obviously, co, meaning you're both dealing with it. And it can take on many different shapes and sizes. Codependency is something that, I mean, I know Brett and I were codependent and didn't even realize it until we went to therapy. There's some great books on codependency, but if you're wondering... And I'm really going to oversimplify this. And remember, I'm not a therapist. And I know therapists are like, don't go there, Shaleen. But if I had to like really, really oversimplify it, if in your relationship, your happiness is completely dependent upon your partner being happy. And I mean, we're obviously all happy when our partner's happy, right? But like your everything centers around like making your partner happy, even if that means sacrificing your own health, your own dreams sacrificing everything, including your own voice, just to make certain they're happy. Or conversely, codependency can mean that you expect other people to do that for you. You expect them to make their world centered around you. 
you know, or you don't feel like you're lovable enough. All right, so I've really oversimplified that. Remember, I'm not a therapist, but if you think that you've got some codependency happening in your relationship, you should address this with a therapist because, you know, some of the things that might be warning signs or red flags in your relationships, that doesn't mean that your relationship is doomed. It means that you've got a red flag. It means that you're you're hearing these things and it's time to address these cracks in the foundation before the whole thing crumbles. I don't think it would surprise you to know that many respondents said that having a really good sense of communication where communication is empathetic and patient and honest and open, that that makes for a really strong relationship. I think empathy goes a very long way when it comes to communication, but so does confidence. And we'll get to that when I address, again, the things that people suggested resulted in their divorce. The next most common trait that these happy couples reported is having a lot in common, like doing things together, trying to purposely spend time together, purposely have hobbies and friendships and common interests common places they like to go, like you literally are making a conscientious effort to do things together. You're making a conscientious effort to grow together. I mean, how many times have you heard couples say, yeah, I think we just kind of grew apart. I've seen this happen. You know, I've been married long enough now to have witnessed friends who, you know, maybe got married back when we did. Maybe at first it was no big deal. Like she had her hobbies, he had his hobbies, but I did notice that they didn't have any shared hobbies. And let's face it, there are things that Brett's really into or I'm really into that he's not into. Like he's not into roller skating. He's not into, you know, certain things. But there are other things that we're both like kind of into enough so that we can both do it together. And we look for those things and we look for things that we have in common so that we we can share those experiences and we can connect. Growth is such a cool thing to experience in any relationship, whether it's a friendship or growth with your children, growth with your partner. It's really powerful to experience growth. And in order to experience growth, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. You have to be willing to be not good at something. You have to be willing to work through things. So it is great for couples to learn new things together, whether it's dance classes or pickleball or learning a new thing like snowboarding. That's something Brett and I, you know, did after we were married for like 10 years. These kinds of things, you know, you're growing and he's growing at the same time. And that's such a cool way to bond and to grow together versus growing apart. You know, so if you're learning new things all the time and your partner isn't, and you're not connecting in that way, you can see how people are growing, but they're not growing together. So Obviously, they're growing apart. I want to take just a moment to remind you how important it is to think on paper. I talk about it all the time. It's so important, especially if you're someone who's easily distracted. You need a notebook with you at all times. This is where you jot down your best ideas. When you think on paper, all of that creativity flows and it it sends that message out to the universe. It's crazy the things that you can manifest when you put your ideas, your thoughts, your dreams, your intentions on paper. Whether you're looking for a very simple to use, effective day planner or a blank notebook to capture all of your brilliant ideas and brainstorms, 
the place to go is pushjournal.com. We've got blank notebooks as well as incredibly easy to use day planners. Like this is the day planner I created as someone who has ADHD who needed something super simple. We've got new designs, designs that have more blank pages or our classic push journal with a health tracker as well as blank notebooks that are so cool. They're so adorable. Like It literally will tell people a little something about your personality when they see you writing in this notebook. Check them all out by going to pushjournal.com. All right, back to the show. Next up was not keeping score. And this was described a couple different ways. Some people said it's not bringing up the past. It's moving forward. It's forgiving. It's not holding a grudge or, you know, nitpicking like, okay, you did this. So therefore I get to do that. Like it's none of those things. Happy, content couples don't work from a place of jealousy or envy or resentment. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of therapists over the years, had many therapists here on the show, and I will say that that is oftentimes something that's really hard to come back from, is really hard to bounce back from resentment. It's possible. I mean, anything is possible, right? Anything is possible if you want it bad enough, and if both people are willing to work for it, if both people want it. I don't know if it's possible to save a marriage where only one person wants to do the work and only one person is willing to make the sacrifice. If only one person is willing to do all these things, I mean, what can you do? You can do your best, you can try, but at a certain point, like, If it's one-sided, what do you do, right? Did you pick the wrong person? Do you wait for them to find the right therapist, for them to come to their senses? What if they never do? You know, I don't know the answer there. And for that reason, the last and final thing I want to mention is luck. And maybe you don't believe in luck. Maybe you believe it's God's plan. I certainly think that there's a little bit of all of that, right? Like there's God's plan and there's luck and circumstances just were such that fate brought the two of you together, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to attribute it to. I just think that it it's important that we recognize you can be doing like all of these things and sometimes it still just doesn't work out for one reason or another. But now let's talk about that. Let's talk about the answers that I got from the nearly 50% of my audience who has been through a divorce. I asked them to tell me why they think the marriage or the relationship did not work out. And here were their top responses. Are you ready? Number one, poor communication. That was the highest on the list. And so I wanted to know, what does poor communication look like? Can you tell me what that looked like? And here's what they told me. They said, not talking about the little things, not talking about sex and marriage and children and finances, not talking about hurt feelings or needs, being afraid to speak up. That was listed so many of the women in, you know, my audience is very predominantly female, right? And so many of the women said, I didn't have my voice. I wasn't confident enough to talk about what it was I needed, what it was I wanted. And so the resentment just continued to grow and grow and grow. And I just let him run over me and then I couldn't take it anymore. I thought that was a pretty honest answer. But 
poor communication was also described as being the almost exact opposite of that, where someone was saying, like, I I couldn't get my partner to tell me what they needed. I couldn't get them to tell me what they wanted. I couldn't get them to be honest with me. I couldn't get them to talk about their feelings. Poor communication was described as being bad at fighting. Like a lot of people mentioned that their partner would give them the cold shoulder or just ignore them or sweep big issues underneath the rug or say, we're not talking about that. Poor communication was described as a partner who would yell and scream, name calling, belittling, to silence the other person. Obviously, that's really poor communication. Poor communication was described as hiding things, having secrets, not talking about what was going on in their business or not talking about what was going on in their personal life or at work, not sharing with them things that were happening within the marriage that they weren't happy about. So Generally speaking, not having honest, open, empathetic, patient communication, all of that falls under the category of poor communication. If there are things, if you can't talk about everything with your partner, this is my personal opinion, that's something that has to be addressed sooner than later. Like nothing should be off limits. I mean, Brett and I will talk about freaking everything. Nothing is off limits. But there was a time when that wasn't true. We had to learn how to do that. He had to learn that he could tell me what he wanted and what he needed and that I wouldn't reject him, that I wanted to hear his opinion, that I wouldn't think less of him if I disagreed, that it it doesn't mean that I love him any less if I'm asking questions or if I want more information. It doesn't mean that I'm challenging him. And I had to learn that I wasn't responsible for his happiness. His mood wasn't my responsibility. Like, you know, we had to learn how to do that. And so I I do think communication is something that we are role modeled by our parents, right? And then you come together in a marriage or in a relationship and you both may have very different styles, different experiences, different childhoods, everything. And, And so now you have to learn how to do that together. And why not? have an outside third party help you to do that. I just don't understand why people are so reluctant to go to a therapist or they think that they have to have like a major problem to go to a therapist when that's like thinking you should only go to the dentist when you have a toothache. Like be proactive, you know, stop by and get yourself a checkup before everything crumbles apart, whether that's your teeth or your marriage. All right, so let's get into it. Of the 45 to 50% of people who have experienced a divorce, 76 of them reported that there was a a power imbalance in their relationship. 89% of them said that there was a lack of respect between the parties one way or the other. 87% attributed the demise of the relationship to poor communication. We've already covered that. Over 75% said that there were issues with trust. 78% said one or both parties had unresolved trauma. Okay, that was so surprising to me. I mean, I guess it's not surprising. It's just surprising that that many people recognized it. Again, almost 80% of people said that part of the reason why their 
relationship didn't work out is because one or both parties had unresolved trauma. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, I'm of an age now where both of my kids are getting married and both of our kids, we told them, you have our best wishes, you have our blessings, provided you and your partner are doing therapy, not couples therapy, but independent therapy. Like you got to fix yourself before you can come into a relationship. So Brock goes to therapy, Sierra goes to therapy, their significant others go to therapy. And that is really important. It's a cornerstone, I think, of a strong relationship. It's just a smart thing to do. And isn't it crazy to think that, again, almost 80% of people who said that their relationship didn't work had a lot to do with the fact that one or both parties had unresolved trauma. Do your kids a favor, get them into therapy. Even if they're like, mom, why do I need to go therapy? Just get in the habit of doing it. Same reason why I need to go to the dentist. Smart people go to therapy. So many people say that they fixed themselves or they went to this seminar or they read this book. And it just doesn't even make sense. It really doesn't. And there's so many quote, life coaches and guru. And listen, life coaches are great, but there are a whole bunch of people out there, a lot of self-help gurus who are, they think that they're healing people from their trauma. They're making people think that they're healed. And, you know, it's like the whole teal swan thing. And that's just like one person right now that I can think of. But there's so many like gurus out there that write these books that, make people believe that like if you read this book you can heal yourself and i'm sure some people can but it's it's kind of again like doing your own root canal should you really be doing that why not trust a professional who has a degree who has the training who has the knowledge who can help give you the tools the assessments and can be a sounding board can help you to see things that you might not be able to see yourself I mean, even the smartest therapists I know have their own therapists, right? So I just think it's something we really have to normalize. I say it on the show all the time, but I'm going to just repeat it over and over and over again. I pray that no one thinks that just by listening to my show, you're going to heal yourself. I'm not a therapist. I can help. I can give you insight. I can share episodes like this where you're hearing other people's opinions, etc. But ultimately, the smartest thing that you can do is seek wise counsel. Seek the help of a trained professional. Why not? It's the ultimate advantage. Not that there is like a shortcut to fixing or healing yourself, but there's definitely a long way and a shorter way. And the shorter way is to go to the expert, the trained professional. Okay. Now some of these next responses were really quite surprising to me. Okay. Only 60% of respondents said that money or financial issues were at the root cause of their relationship's demise. And this one was interesting. I said, who was more at fault in the crumbling of your marriage? 25% of people self-identified. I thought that's pretty huge. That's pretty major. I thought it was even going to be lower than that. You know what I mean? Because I don't know. Most oftentimes when you talk to people about their divorce, they tell you all the things that their partner, you know, sometimes you'll hear someone who's really self-aware say, you know, we both were at fault and this and that, but I don't know about you, but it just seems like every time I've talked to somebody who's recently divorced and I ask them, you know, like, so what do you think happened in your marriage? Most often, not always, but most of the time you hear people, maybe they'll take responsibility for like a few things, but 
for the most part, they're pointing at their partner. The one word I hear so many divorcees use, and I wonder if it's not overused, is the term narcissist. I hear so many people say, I was married to a narcissist. And I wonder if we're just overusing that term, if it's just like an oversimplification of somebody who just was self-centered in the relationship. And, you know, if both parties aren't a little bit at fault, I would be surprised. But again, I was pleased to see that at least 25% of my audience took responsibility. They said, yeah, no, I was the problem in the marriage. I thought, wow, that's very self-aware. And as I, I mentioned, many people cited an imbalance of power as being the downfall of the relationship. So I asked for clarification and I said, explain to me what an imbalance or what your imbalance looked like. And so I'm going to share with you what people shared with me. Many people said it was an imbalance of money, that one partner, not just that one partner was the breadwinner, but that one partner controlled all of the money, made all the money decisions, didn't listen to the other person's input, didn't care, just operated like they are, were on their own planet. Some said that it was about dominance, that they just were very controlling, that they had to run every decision, what they were wearing, who they were going to be spending time with, what they were doing each day, what they were eating. I mean, that's a little bit more than a power imbalance to me. That certainly sounds like an abusive relationship. Some people describe the power imbalance as only one person in the relationship's opinion mattered. So they got to make all the calls with regard to parenting or what they were going to be doing and with whom or when, like they made all decisions. While others describe the power imbalance as one partner kind of being responsible, but they didn't want to be responsible. They didn't want to have to pay the bills. They didn't want to have to be responsible for the upkeep of the home and the discipline of the children and you know, the just like the responsibilities of a marriage all fell on this person and the other partner just acted like they were a roommate and just lived their life and didn't take any responsibility in the marriage. And so obviously that's a power imbalance. That response came up a lot, like women saying, I couldn't get his opinion. I couldn't get his help. I couldn't get him to contribute, to share with me his thoughts, to be involved in any way. He was very passive, wouldn't make any decisions, wouldn't be responsible in any way, shape, or form for any part of the relationship or the marriage. Obviously, keep in mind, I'm hearing only one side of the story. I say that because I, I just read a comment from someone who said, I did everything and he did nothing. And I just have to tell you, that statement right there is so black and white that it tends to negate anything that their partner may have done. And is it possible that one partner did absolutely nothing? Possibly. But more often than not, we overemphasize what we do. We exaggerate our own role and we downplay what our partners have done. And that's a really, really bad habit to get into in a marriage because that gets blown out of proportion so quickly and you see what it is you set out to find, right? So if, if all you want to see is all that you're doing, that's all you're going to see and you won't see what your partner has done. So I'm not saying that this person is lying or exaggerating, but all or nothing statements are very problematic in relationships. And again, while not as many people as I thought 
attributed the problems in their marriage to financial situation. When I'm reading a lot of these responses, a lot of this, in my opinion, is financial because so many people talk about how, well, my husband was working outside the home, I was taking care of the children, and so therefore he felt like he deserved to make all decisions regarding the money and when it came to the control of our family. Other people said he made more money, so that meant that I had to be in charge of the household. Like So a lot of this people described as a power differential, but it also seems to me that a lot of that power differential, not always, but the majority of people describe a power differential where there are stereotypes with regard to like who's responsible for what, and like there's more significance given or more importance to the voice of the person who's earning more. And in my opinion, that's just, that's so problematic. That is so (laughs) problematic, just my opinion. And I don't think it's uncommon either. I think that when someone doesn't have access to finances, when you're not seen as equals, then the person who doesn't have access to the money, they have less power. And it's an abuse of power for the person who is controlling the money to control that person and not giving them as much access to the money and to the decision-making as the person who's actually earning it. You're either a partnership or you're not. I mean, again, this is just my opinion. I don't see it personally as being healthy when couples have your money versus my money. Like you're either partners or you're not. Like it's our money. And we never look at like, okay, who's responsible for earning or who's made more or We're a partnership. We are a partnership. You would not be able to do the things that you can do if it weren't for the support of your partner. I was not able to do the things that I wanted to do. I mean, it's just like you just divide and conquer. Whether someone's actually coming home with a paycheck or not, you've divided your responsibilities and that's something you have to talk about. You need to talk about that in advance. And I think it's really important that you put safeguards in place because it's really easy for someone to lose their voice and to lose their power when they don't have access to the finances. And that is when people end up stuck in an abusive relationship, an abusive marriage, because financially they have to. I mean, until they can figure a way out, you know, and that's really a scary place to be so To my young newlyweds, to those of you who are not yet married and you're thinking about this and maybe, oh man, it just sounds so nice to be taken care of and not to have to worry about a thing. Yeah, but be very, very cautious that that doesn't slip into this power differential. One person described having a great marriage and then there was a betrayal of trust related to money and then she took over all of the money and became very, very controlling of the money because she said, quote, I had to. And her control, she claims, or, or, you know, she says that her need to be in control and her lack of ever restoring her trust in him resulted in the end of their marriage. That's sad. That's because that's probably something a good therapist could have helped them through, you know, because they both were traumatized by it. Anyways, Yeah, power differential is a big one, and it's something I think that happens slowly. It creeps. So like I've said throughout this episode, nip these things in the bud, you know, address them before they become so big that there's so much resentment and so much history 
you feel like you can't come back from it. I hope that this episode has been enlightening. I hope it's been helpful. Like I said, not all people are meant to be together. You can still do everything within your power. You can take personal responsibility. You can do all of these things. And for some reason, it still might not work out. There are reasons certain people are not good together. And sometimes we're meant to learn from our partners how to be in our next relationship. You know, so many people talked about how their first marriage taught them how to be a better partner, how to have a better marriage, how to be more loving. Their first relationship taught them all the things that maybe they didn't learn by watching their parents or that just weren't possible with that first person. You know, if I'm being honest, I don't know if I believe in the term soulmate. I mean, maybe that's true for some people, but I also think it requires just a degree of selflessness and self-awareness and a lot of emotional intelligence, you know, certainly faith helps keep marriages together when all else fails. So anyways, I I hope this episode has been helpful to you. It's a question I, I get often asked and I always feel uncomfortable answering it because it's so different for every person and, and it's complicated and it's complex, but I hope that this sheds some light on it. And I hope that you'll share it with someone who it's appropriate to share it with them. You know, I think we have to be very careful in sending an episode like this to someone who's single and making the assumption that they don't want to be single. Maybe they do want to be single. You know, there's nothing wrong with being single at any age. In fact, sometimes that's exactly what you need to be. You need to be single to figure yourself out, to take care of yourself, to work through your things, to to really understand who it is you're looking for, what it is you're looking for. And I, I just think we have to be very careful not to make assumptions that people want to be with someone else and I also think we have to be very careful not to make people feel like there's something wrong with them if they're not in a relationship. That's so crazy. It's just a societal thing. But ultimately, what's most important is that you're happy. And being with somebody else is not going to make you happy unless you are happy first with yourself. Don't forget, if you would like to listen to The Shaleen Show ad-free, as well as to enjoy the additional, you know, personal episodes that I do on my Patreon. You can check that out by going to patreon.com forward slash The Shaleen Show. I would love to invite you to become a member. Also, I want to invite you to become a member of our pod squad. It's a Facebook group. Love to have you there. Thank you for reaching out to me in and participating in this survey that I did on Instagram. Be sure to follow me. I'm at Shaleen Johnson. I love you. I mean it. And I will talk to you soon. Hey, it's Kristen, Shaleen's podcast manager. Look at you. You made it all the way to the end. That's awesome. If you love this episode, which I'm sure you did, why don't you go leave Shaleen a review? She would love to know which episode it was and why you liked it. What hit home with you? Shaleen literally reads every single review. She loves hearing your feedback and she uses your comments and your ideas for future episodes. So, Go leave a review, and while you're at it, could you check to make sure you're subscribed? That way you will never miss a single episode of The Shaleen Show, which we release on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, every single week. Now, if you need a little bit more podcasting, 
to fill up your time on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Did you know that Shalene has another podcast that she co-hosts with her son, Brock? Yep, she does. It's called Build Your Tribe. And that podcast is all about business and marketing, but also devoted to helping you make more money so you can live more life. If you need Shalene all the time and you're the ultimate lifer, then you have got to check out The Shaleen Show on Patreon. Shaleen is so personal. She spills the tea on everything that she can't on her regular podcast. And you also get bread. Completely unedited, unfiltered, and hilariously confident about everything. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash The Shaleen Show. Anyways, thanks for listening. And remember, anything that we reference in this episode, including the links to our show sponsors and links to the other podcasts, can be found in the show notes below. 